and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Annette Densham, I am so excited to have you on this podcast. I love and adore you, as you know, and have for a while, but I've never really grilled you about your entrepreneur journey. So welcome. Thank you. Oh, I love a good grilling. <laughs> well, it's 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 about turning the tables because you, I know you're going to tell us about your journalism past and that's all about asking everyone else. So now it's all about you. So oh, my gosh. <laughs> so let's start with what do you do right now? What is your business now and why have you set it up? So my business right now. Why? Uh, no, no, I'm just wanna... having a laugh because I know you're doing lots of things, so I'm interested to see how you're going to answer this one. Go on, tell us what you do. Okay. Well, <laughs> it, it is a hard question because I do do a lot and then when people find out the range of things that I do, they're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And I was like, well, there's only so much room on a website and in your bio. I can't put everything. <laughs> but I'm the co-founder of the Audacious Agency and we set up the Audacious Agency with my wonderful friend and business partner, Lauren Clement, because we kind of looked around and went, well, as women, we really suck as as a generalisation at being bold and putting ourselves out there and both of us have have been that person in the background and and putting ourselves forward was, you know, something that we had to work through our business journey. So what we do is that we build profile strategies to build people's brands through awards, through book publishing, through PR, you know, we write content, we write articles, and uh, we just basically point people in the right direction on how to get noticed and how to be seen and how to get more eyes over whether it's their product or their service or whatever a huge message that they want to share with the world. We give them a push and go, okay, let's get some great storytelling out there so people know, like, and trust you. Brilliant. And the other thing is, of course, you're an author. I am an author. I. It's funny after, like, I've been writing uh, from the moment I could hold a pencil and I always wanted to be an author and, you know, when you go into journalism, I guess you are an author. You're, you know, I've written millions and millions and millions of words. But uh, a couple, well, mate, five years ago I wrote um, How to Be a Media Magnet. So I did a little workbook, right. which is kind of funny when I handed it to my, proudly to my husband and went, look, I've written a book <laughs> and he opened it and he went, oh, there's like lines and stuff. Like <laughs> do you have to do work? And I went, yeah, it's a workbook. And he went, oh, boring. And I went, thanks, but love. You've just finished uh, another different kind of book, haven't you? I have. And what led me, it's 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 called, oh, gosh, what's it called? It's called Are We There Yet? And it is on the back of an experience I had this year with a um, book writing coach and I wrote a chapter for a, an anthology called I Fly. My chapter's called uh, The Monster in the Room, Chapter 9, about an experience that I had when I lived with my grandparents. And I, I just, like, it was, it was very confronting because the chapter is not easy to read, 
but the process of being descriptive and, you know, bringing people into that moment of when I was 12 years old and I was having to face this very adult thing going on, I just, I loved it. So I went, you know what? God damn it, I'm going to write my own book. I love so it. So, yeah, 106,000 words later. Oh, wow. Uh, it's all about the... Oh, no, it's massive. It's all about the first 25 years of my life and, you know, the, the shit that I went through and the stuff that I overcame. And um, I was thinking about it the other day, the, the, this 25 years, I'm 50 now, has actually I said to my husband, it, I'm actually quite boring now because <laughs> I, I really so. had no, <laughs> no great trials or tribulations like I did in my first 25 years. Yeah, well, there's that too, but thank God. I don't think you need any more of those, and I'm dying to read your book. But let's just go back a little bit to Audacious Agency. Um, was there a light bulb moment or has there been a moment anyway? Because I know you've had a few different things. I knew you originally as the publicity genie. But talk to me about light bulbs moments. Talk to me about that moment where you where either something happens and you just go, I'll oh, stuff this, I'm going to do something about it, or a gap you see in the market or whatever. And, and I think you touched on it with the Audacious Agency. But was there an actual moment where you went, right, I'm not going to start, I'm not going to talk about this anymore, I'm going to get on and, and, and help women get these awards? Yeah, it was like a publicity genie. I was teaching people how to do their own PR and like I liked it but it was like didn't really float my boat. And after, I don't know, numerous workshops teaching people how to write a media release, I went, oh, my God, I may as well go hit my head on a brick wall. Because I love doing not- it. It's so funny that you don't like doing it. I love it. <laughs> uh, the, the frustrating, and this was my light bulb moment, the frustrating thing was that even though I'd stepped it out and people went, oh, this is amazing, it's great, they didn't do anything with it yeah. when they left the program. And I'm like going, why did you just spend all that money? And time. And my light bulb and time and then just do nothing and then go, well, that didn't work. And I was like, of course it didn't work, you drongo. You didn't do anything with it. But the light bulb moment was, you know what, the the, the gap that I saw is was not just the skill gap, it was the roadmap that they knew that they wanted to do this thing but they weren't quite sure how to get there. So I went, it's time to pivot a little bit. Oh, God, sorry, I just used that word, adapt. That's all right. I was using pivot. That's all right. I was using pivot before it was a thing. I'm just saying that for anyone listening, we are, we are. I'm in Melbourne in lockdown. We're still on the end of, of COVID and, of course, pivot is like bleh, a word we've all heard 50 million times. But you're allowed to say it sometimes. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, I have been saying it way before yes. it was. Of course, you're you're such an early adopter. (laughs) I'm I'm an outlier. I'm before my time. I mean, there's so many things I see and I go, I've been doing that for freaking years. We're talking about authentic. I've been authentic forever. That's right. But, But the light bulb moment was... You know what, teaching people how to do this, I love that saying, you know, feed a person to fish and then you feed them for life. But for me it was like going, well, actually I probably need to help them create the tackle box and work out 
what bait they need and what rod's best for them. So I transitioned into that. Look, I'm going to do it for you, uh, but I'm going to do it for you and also teach you at the same time because I could just, like one of the reasons I became a journalist because I was just, just so intrigued and curious about people's stories. And then doing PR, which was actually quite accidental that I went into PR because I don't have any qualifications in it. I just have been a journalist and a curious. Interesting that both of us taught ourselves and decided to go out and teach other people. But I I really love though what you're doing with the Audacious Agency because I think there are so many women certainly that I work with that don't think that they would qualify and they don't think they're good enough and they think that what they're doing is great but it's not worthy of an award and they're just so wrong. And it's the same thing with people that say, you know, little old me, why would anyone want to put me in their, in their magazine or in their newspaper? And you go, oh, my God, don't you realise how amazing you are? Oh, Jules, that's so, like, I, I, I talk to so many people and I hear that so often and after I get over the urge to want to slap them... <laughs> and go wake up yeah hello I just think I just wish you could see you as I see you after sitting here listening to you and I guess it's like that uh, that you when you're really good at something you kind of like go what this whole thing you know it's so easy to do this that's right and when when you're in the thick of doing something whatever it is that you you've made a great product or you've got a great service or you've you know you've got you've got a great mission is that you get immersed in the quagmire of the doing and the minutia of the you know the day to day that we forget just how incredible we are and it like and it doesn't even have to be something massively life changing like moving a mountain or you know feeding <laughs> the homeless or the starving it really like everybody in their own way is amazing is, is amazing and that ripple effect of you know what you do look at what you've done with she's the boss and the the women that you've empowered and inspired and encouraged the ripple effect is of that is going to be felt for years Oh. Well, let's hope so. But anyway, this is not about me. This is about you. No, it's so, not. Sorry. It's your Something turn. Out there. Yes. <laughs> um, it's your turn now to tell us your story. Let me take you all the way back to whenever you want to start it with um, whatever um, was the impetus that started your career, whether it was high school or when you left school or whatever. Can you tell me how you've ended up as the co-founder of the Audacious Agency and where you started off after school? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> as I can do that, I've just finished writing about it, so it's very fresh. Awesome. Um, I was... Uh, I grew up with a gypsy for our mother. We moved a lot, 97 times up to this point in my life. That's actually, that's mad, 97 times. I mean, if you'd said 33 times, I would have gone, yeah, maybe, but 97 times. So how much of that was with your mum and how much of that has been you as an adult? Like is is it sort of 87 with your mum and only 10 times? Yeah, most most of that was prior to oh, when I was 21 years old. God, so, so you're staying places for weeks at a time. Yeah, right? yeah. sometimes we would be there for such a short amount of time and we'd pack up and we'd move on. My mother had very bad taste in men and she often made very questionable life decisions. Right. That's her life and I learned a lot from that and 
decided that I wasn't going to marry any men that my mother found attractive. So when I met my husband and my mum went, oh, Earl's, he, he's he's really nice. Maybe he's a bit too nice. And it's like, I think that you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's enough for me. But there's an endorsement. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. But because we moved around so much and I was often picked on, you know, being the new kid, I was really tall, I was really broad, you know, like the, these tiny little girls and here's this, you know, I had size 10 feet by the time I was 10. And I found refuge in the library because I love right. to read, just love, love books. Books are my best friend. My Kindle is actually nicknamed my best friend. And around about 10, 11, you start getting asked, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Which <laughs> seems a little bit early really, doesn't it? But anyway. I know, it's mental. But I kept thinking, oh, I want to be a doctor because it's pretty smart. And then I kind of went, oh, I'm not really too keen on the old blood thing. And I thought, well, I really like I really like reading and I really like writing. So I went to the library because that's what I did. I was a bit of a bit of a geek. Back before and, you could just Google it and you yep, had to go yep. and look it up in the books. The Dewey Decimal System was my best friend. <laughs> yes. The little card catalogues. It's like, oh, okay, like what are careers? <laughs> and I, I came across journalism. And the description was, I went, you know what, I want to do that. So I was 10. Where I went, right. I want to be wow. I want to be a journalist. I'm going to be a journalist. It wasn't just I want to be a journalist. I'm going to be a journalist because if I put my mind to something, it's like, yep, you bet I'm going to do that. that. I love that about you. So um, what happened? So how did you get into journalism? So I did work experience. I worked at a local newspaper for a while. I did went to Channel 7, which just turned me off, TV journalism, big time. Um, Why? Why? Let me just ask you why. What was Channel 7? How long were you there? I was only there a week. <laughs> that was it enough. Was work, it was work, yeah, and it was, and I found that the whole experience was total polar opposite to what it was like when I worked at the newspaper, which was nurturing and the, the senior journalist there, like I still remember him going, you use that too much. Take that out and you'll see the sentence remains the same. I'm still the same now. I go back and I go, man, there's like 500 million that's in this. So I can take those out. And, uh, <laughs> but at Channel 7, I like the journalists basically ignored you. It was almost like they were they were too good for you. They yeah. you know, like I'd ask questions and they'd look down their nose. And and I can remember being in the car with what were a very famous like particularly in Brisbane, TV reporter, and I'd said something and she goes to the driver, I still remember it, she goes, the child wants to know something. No. Like I was like 17 and I'm like gone, I said, dropped a few profanities in my head and thought, (laughs) you get stuck. Absolutely. And I I was also, um, there was another very famous person who tried to, you know, put the hard word on me. Um, right. And so that kind of freaked me out that, you know, here's this really, here's this person I've been following since I was a kid and his hand is on my leg moving up towards under my dress. So it's like, yeah. uh, no, so that I'm, was not I'm fun. to get out of here. I did. I, did. I, I got very good at avoiding that person over the week. It's like, oh, my God, here he is. I'm going to, like, go that way. I didn't tell anybody, but it no. was like, you know what, in my head I went, this place is full of ego and 
And um, probably cutthroat as well. You know, they're all going to climb yeah. over each other for the three roles that they're allowed. So, yeah. Right, so, out of so, the, so where did you end up doing your – did you do a cadetship? Um, no, before that I, <laughs> I, I, I met a boy and that was disastrous. <laughs> um, so I kind of put all of my dreams on hold because it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that he thought – I should do. And then I just. Oh, it's not about, a So he said, don't do journalism, and you just stopped for a while. It was a, a very violent relationship. Right. Um, you know, he isolated me from my friends and my family. I went to work, I went home, and that was it. And he didn't it probably was, want you to enjoy it either. So that would have been another. No, God, oh, God, no. God, oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. But by the time I was um, 20, I had put my uni on hold. I was working, you know, shitty, crappy jobs. And I, I woke up one day and I remember going, what am I doing? Like, why? Like, I, I work so hard at school. Why Why have I let this happen? Oh, you're so and, good to have had that self-realisation. Yeah. Oh, I stayed with him. Oh, like, okay. it's not that good. <laughs> but I went you know what, I'm going to go and do this, bugger the consequences. There were consequences, but I still did it anyway. And I got a job with, uh, at the time, John Fairfax and Sons in their Brisbane Bureau. I was their editorial librarian because trying to get into journalism, like in the late 80s, early 90s, was it was pretty cutthroat. It was quite hard to get into. I went back to high school. I redid my senior, um, top the state in ancient history. Oh, just my saying. God, aren't you brilliant? Ancient history, how useful. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there's some really valuable lessons well, from, you know, I was Egyptian history. Ethics, which was um, religion, Christian religion as well, and I think okay. actually not that terribly useful for me either in my career. But anyway, we no. know these things happen. We can put it to good use somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I went back to uni. I got into um uh, Q, QUT, uh, it was called something else at the time, but it's QUT yeah. now. And I settled into um, being the best editorial librarian and they let me write articles and they taught me. It was a very small bureau and the journalists <laughs> loved my – George. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, so I went to QUT and got into Bachelor of Communication majoring in journalism. Yep. Uh, I was working for Fairfax and Sons, really small bureau. There was um, five journalists there. They loved me because I was so curious and keen and interested and they gave me little writing assignments. Like my very first article was about a golf course resort on the Gold Coast. Oh, nice. I got my byline on the story. I was like, oh, my God, I've made it. So uh, around that time there was a, a journalist from the Sydney Morning Herald came up and on this particular day, he started, he found me at my desk sobbing because I'd just gotten off the phone from that horrible man that I was living with. And over the next five weeks, I don't know what he did, but he he just fed belief into me. This total stranger. Oh, what a great thing. Oh, I didn't know him from a bar of soap. And by the end of the five weeks, he was one of my best friends. 
because we had just, he just kept saying, you know, you're amazing. You, you can do this. You know, you're worth it. You're, you, you just do it. So I applied to News Limited in Sydney, got into their um, copy person. So back in the day, you started as a copy person, which is really just legalised slavery, yes. just saying. <laughs> um, I know you've spoken to Wendy Squires and she started the same way. She, so they she kept her in that you, role for over two years while everyone else was being pushed up around her. Oh, my God, I can beat her. I was four. Oh, my goodness, golly. Four years, four years, Jules, and I worked my butt off. Like I had my own column as a copy person with the Australian business section. I wrote a column twice a week called The Innovators where I interviewed, um, you know, uh, innovators, inventors, you know, new technology, new oh, ideas. you were a bit of ahead of yourself with that as well when you think of what it's like now. No, no, trailblazer. Just you are, hugely. And, and, yeah, four years they just strung me along and they just, you know, every, every time a, a cadetship came up, someone else got it and they had a reason every time. It was because we don't think you're ready or that person is this and let me tell you nepotism is a very powerful yes. thing. Um, and, and also brown nosing gets you a long way. Um, and also not saying what you think and is also very valuable. also all the pretty girls got to go up. In her case she said she had acne and she actually had, um, a boss say to her, how could we send you out looking like that? Can you believe Yeah, that? well, oh, I got told by the editor of The Australian that I was too vivacious for The Australian. <laughs> anyway, like, I amazing. I wish you could see my face, people. Yeah. When he said that, I looked at him and I went... Are you kidding me? Like, what does that even no, mean? Does that excuse. mean that you want boring people? <laughs> right. So, what happened then? So, you were you got this job at News Limited. You were a copy girl out, out yep. for four years. What 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 happened after that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I did something that lost me a lot of friends, and I um, I decided that I was going to take Rupert Murdoch to court oh, over unfair work practices. Yes. So he's little old me. I think I was 24 years old. Um, I started proceedings against News Limited at the time um, for unfair work practices and I scored myself one of the top law firms in Sydney at the time who did all the work pro bono because of the the value of my case and because of the validity of my case like they just kept going this is a really strong case mind you I couldn't get anybody to back me up because they all just stopped talking to me because you know basically broke ranks and scared about their job and all the rest of it yeah scared about their job absolutely they offered me they offered me a payment a settlement which I very on principle went no because I wasn't doing it for money. We went to court. The judge found in their favour. We appealed. Um, I scored myself a QC who also did it for wow. free because he went, I like you. Actually, was, and, and this is one of the first people who ever told me in my life that they were proud of me wow. because I was standing on such principles. Um, so we went to court. The judge found on appeal, and I can't remember his exact words, but they were similar to 
you have a strong case. We think that what you've said to us is valid. However, we can't find in your favour because what will happen retrospectively if we do will open this business up for... So they wouldn't let you set the precedent, I think it's called, where you do it and therefore yep. everyone else is allowed to do it. Oh, yep. my yep. God. So, 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 so what did you do then? As you can imagine... Oh, yeah. Well, I got a job um, in PR, yep. which I forgot about until I started writing my book. I went to work for a big book publisher um, until I opened my big mouth and said something really inappropriate. My boss was a very proper North Shore lady. Oh, right. So I did I think I only lasted there maybe three or four months. And then I went, I was I was sick. I was I was delved into the blackest depths of depression. I locked myself in my room. I became skeletal because I just stopped eating and I did a lot of really bad drugs and drank a lot. Oh, um and then I went, I'm going home. So I packed my stuff up. I was just Two, three months after my 25th birthday and I went home and I felt like the world's biggest failure because here was this beautiful career that I had I had worked so hard for since I was 10 and just because the way that someone viewed how I showed up, their perception of me stopped stopped me. And and back in the day, no one no one really told me that there was any other way to yeah. do it. Like I, everything I'd worked out was just through asking questions and so I, I just, like I didn't even think that maybe I should go out bush or maybe I should do something else or so I just went, okay, well, that's it. That's it. I'm so done. what happened, what happened so, next? Because obviously, you know, you've had this great career. So how, how did it all eventuate? <sighs> Well, when I got back, I went. I worked for a media analysis company for a while because of okay. my experience within the news. So I did that for a while until I just went, oh, I don't want to work with these people anymore. They're like stress-filled, they're nasty, they're overly competitive, and that's so not me. So I went to work with people with disabilities for four years as a support worker in a um, supported employment workshop, and I advocated for these people. There's some of them are still my friends today. These, you know, these wonderful human beings that I supported, Fantastic. and I learned how to do sign language. I got my forklift license. I got a postgraduate yeah, sorry, degree. So special- why do you need a forklift? Just that to help people up on, with wheelchairs onto. No, no. Why in heavens, no, how did that no. get thrown in in the middle of I work with disabled people and learn some new stuff? Because we worked in a, a workshop. So they had an engineering section where they oh, made and then things. And then, yeah, one of their jobs was packing these bags for Woolworths. So we had these massive pallets and I was forever waiting for the warehouse manager to come and move these pallets so we could we, we'd sit there a lot of the time going, dum dum you know, yeah, right. like, there's 60 people going, I want to do some work, and I'm like going, yeah, me too. So we, um, so I just said to my boss one day, I went, look, I don't really like sitting around doing nothing. Do you think that you'd, like, let me get my forklift licence? So he went, yeah, sure, why not? So, yeah, I got my oh, forklift Just another license. example of how okay. practical you are. So what happened after the yeah, disability I, place? 
Well, I had my right. babies. So I had uh, I had my first son, Zaid. He's almost 20 now. And then I had my second son. And I went, you know what, I'm going to be stay-at-home mum mom because right. my my mum was always working. And, I, you know, when you're a mum, you look at your mum and you go, I'm not That's doing right. what she did. So I did that, but, like, I wasn't very good at I thought I was a very not a good mum, not very good at Sitting around just and, yeah, playing yeah, blocks. Right. Yeah, you know, hot potato, hot potato. Yeah, cold spaghetti, cold <laughs> spaghetti. So I went, you know what, I want to get back into journalism. So our job came up on seat for the senior newspaper and I got a job with them and I worked for them for over eight years as their Queensland stringer, um, writing stories on seniors' issues, you know, politics and advocacy and elder abuse and, you know, these beautiful stories of, you know, people who volunteered with the Meals on Wheels for 50 years and ex-priests who now make the most beautiful violins for um, Juilliard. So it was was really incredible. And then I got a job with (laughs) forklift action because, you know, I went, I'm I'm qualified to write about forklifts because I've got a licence. And I wrote for them for, oh, gosh, Two or three years. Oh my god! Oh, really? Handle I'm waiting for this sort of. This yeah. is when I went out on my own, and you working for for, for a forklift company for three years was not what I was thinking. No, it's um, you are surprises, but but in my my feature article on the Russian forklift industry <laughs> is. Golden, Sorry, I don't mean to golden. laugh. I'm sure it was. And uh, for anyone that's interested in forklifts, go and look it up. <laughs> it, and the reason why it was so good is that I don't speak Russian and not a lot of people in Russia speak English. So it was all 1,500 words all done through Google Translator. <laughs> Thank you. Which for those of us that have ever done Google Translator for, say, two sentences and know how badly they get it wrong, I can only imagine what that article must have looked like <laughs> Yes. But I love yes, your balls for doing it. Or maybe balls is the right word Sorry. for she's the boss thing, but you're shoot, shoot <laughs> So, so the, the, the little one started school and I got itchy feet and it's like, you know what, I actually I really wanted, I love my kids. I'm not the, the most maternal woman in the world and it's like oh, I'm not just here to be a mum. That's just one thing. So I went back to work and I I applied for this job with a a large not-for-profit organisation in Queensland as a media officer and uh, rocked up on my first day and they went, oh, by the way, we've decided to change your role. You're now the publications editor. And I've, like, gone, I've never edited a publication in my life, but you know what? I'll give of it a course crack. you should. You got a forklift uh, license for heaven's sake. I would have thought that editing a publication would be a doddle. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was absolutely. So I worked for them for two years and um, put out twelve magazines, and well, you know, did huge public health events and it was really cool. And over the next five, six years, I worked in corporate comms, um, mainly in the not-for-profit space, you know, writing. I I got the best, like my boss at this first job back into the real world was she was, and she was hard-nosed, pedantic, perfectionist, but she made me a better writer and 
you know, that I was writing speeches and annual reports and website content and brochures and articles wow. and oh, just, I, I, just the uh, awards and grants and so just many things. Just your world and, and your perspective by the sounds of it hugely. Yeah, absolutely. So if we fast forward to 2013, here I am, I've been headhunted, you know, big not-for-profit aged care provider in Queensland. They've made this beautiful role just for me. And I'm like going, hello, world. I'm here 43 years old and I've finally made it. Yeah, 12 months later, I'm like, yeah, thanks very much, Annette. We're financially restructuring on your bike. You're out of here. And I'm like going, what the <laughs> what? Um, so me and 12,000 other people who had been retrenched from the Queensland Public Service were looking for jobs and I couldn't find one and I was just I was devastated, absolutely devo, devo. And which, I sorry, went along me to just this seminar. You, which is often the moment where we do, and I'll just have to do this as a, you know, just for the women that might be listening, it is those moments when you're devastated that take you in a whole new direction. Absolutely. And this this was it. This was the start. And a friend of mine rang me and she said, oh, I've got a free ticket to this weekend seminar. Do you want to come? And I went, oh, God, no. I couldn't think of anything worse listening to someone do all of that hype and BS and hyperbole, like, nah, I'm not going. And she went, oh, well, just in case. And then I went, oh, I suppose I haven't left the house for a while. I'll go along. So I went along and this guy was teaching people how to um, make money from webinars. And I thought, oh, hang on, where's the pitch? What kidney am I going to have to sell for this one? But he did something a little bit different. So he actually got a guinea pig from the audience to demonstrate what his process was. And he's, you know, he's talking about, you know, everyone in this room is an expert at something and I'm kind of like going arms crossed, legs crossed, eyes crossed, feet crossed, you know, anything I can cross going, what a complete load of rubbish. And my friend's elbowed me and she's gone, you know heaps of stuff about journalism and media and publicity and, like, you could do something like that. And I went, oh, I suppose so. I put my hand up. And he went, okay, what do you do? And I said, well, I've worked as a journalist and I've worked in corporate comms, so I know a little bit about how to get a story media. into the, the media. And so we went, all right, get up on stage. So here's me with 12 other people all pitching. First time I've ever pitched anything. I was pretty sure I almost wet my <laughs> pants. But, you know, because I've been home for six months sulking. So it's like, oh, my God, there's like 150 people looking at me. This is like. Oh, so I've gone, okay, and they've got the microphone and I've said, well, you know, I can show people how to get free publicity. And the guy up the back who was this guy's partner, he's, I can still remember it, his head shot up and he went, oh, my God, I love it. What about the five secrets to getting free publicity? And I've kind of like gone, oh, it's just a bit cheesy, but, yeah, all right, whatever. So then everybody had to vote for their most favourite pitch. I won. People stood up and cheered for me and I'm like going, this is a bit weird. So within 36 hours, I'd created this program called Public Relations yep. Mastery, The Five Secrets to Getting Free Publicity, delivered this live 60-minute webinar to a room of 150 people and however many 
signed up through the link and walked away that weekend with $5,500 in my pocket from this program that I hadn't created yet and a $70 payment, which I can now pay. Oh, my God, this is a thing. I'm loving this. Yeah, and back in the day, my my original business name was PR Superwoman. That's a good name. So, but it was a great name, but, yeah, I wasn't really like tights worthy at the time. <laughs> That's why you moved to gurus. Like, I imagine gurus sit down cross-legged wearing, you know, I don't know, a turban. Yeah, there are a bit, Oh, no, it's Jeannie. So Jeannie wears a bit more, oh, you know, right. yeah, flimsy but feminine I dream type of, of stuff. Makes me I dream of. So PR Superwoman was basically the I'll teach you how to do it yourself and and I actually did quite well for quite a while until I had that moment where I went, this isn't really what I want to do. And and a former mentor said to me, she asked me if I could get her Ariana Huffington's details so that she could interview her. And I went, oh, I'll give it a crack. You know, if you come to me and you say to me, can you do this? I'll go, yeah, yeah, sure. And see what I can do. So I did. I got in contact with Ariana Huffington. She messaged me back. I put them in contact and this mentor went, you really are a genie. You're the publicity ah. genie. And I went, oh, I like that. So yeah, really yeah. Like I'd it. put her back in the so, bottle, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no way I'm getting me back in no the way. bottle. There's a few too many lumps these days. <laughs> Right, so that's why you started Publicity Genie and then how did that morph into Audacious Agency? Well, I met Lauren through, uh, you know, the southeast Queensland small business community is not huge, um, especially, you know, almost 10 years ago. And she kept popping up on this, like, you know, this is before Facebook business groups were like, yeah, a thing. There's one called Queensland Business Group and there was a few thousand people in there and I went, because I was sitting there going, okay, I've got zero money for marketing. What do I have that I can use to put myself out there? And I went, uh, do I was going to say, do I want to now reach through the uh, TV screen to smack you on the face as well. Yeah, yeah well, so it's the best a little way of me getting the word out. <laughs> yeah. And then I went, you know what? The best way to do this is to give as much value as I can to give as much free information, go find places where I can do that. And this business group was one of those. And I met Lauren. I actually went to her workshop because she's a a neurobranding specialist. And we just clicked and we became friends and we started doing things together. And then a few years ago she rang me and she went, because I was, that awards became a real special to me specialty yep. for me and she messaged me and she went oh there's these awards asia pacific stevie awards i really think they're a bit of a wank but you know should i enter and i'm like god i can't believe you've not entered before like you're amazing at what you do so she went all right well i'll write it can you help me and i went yeah absolutely and right. she won silver and she rang me and she went i think there's something to this and i went yeah you think <laughs> And we went, why don't we organise a lunch where we, you know, have some a panel of women who have won awards and we have some speakers and we just make it this real thing. And 
and see what happens. So 110 people later, um, yeah. we launched the award-winning Accelerator Program, which was um, an all-inclusive trip to New York, entry into the Stevie Women in Business Awards. We got five people sign up at like $8,000, and off we went to New York that November and came home with a swag of gold and silvers and bronze, and we ran workshops and we did sightseeing. Amazing, isn't it? I, was, I don't think... That unless you've won an award, and I actually haven't, but the, until you've won an award, you don't realise the power of them. But having interviewed now so many women for these podcasts, I've asked a couple of the Telstra business women are winners, you know, did it really make a difference? And they have said, like, completely changed my life. Like, not yeah. a small difference, like, massive. All of a sudden, I had such a profile and everyone wanted part of me and even on just a very small anecdotal kind of um, version I as you know got shortlisted in the women and my social media is going off the charts so there is definitely something in it and you must have some great stories of women where it's just made the difference in their business have you have you got any stories like that Almost everybody that I've right. worked with who's won an award, even those who only made the finals, and it's like the, and, and only is not diminishing their no, no, um, not at all. their impact. But when you put yourself out there and, you know, because a lot of people enter awards and don't say anything about it even when they win, but yeah. when you do and you share that, it creates this connection with people emotionally and also from a business perspective because subconsciously we look at somebody who puts themselves out there and we admire them, we respect them, we're inspired by them. So I've, I've worked with women who, you know, one who really like her website was pretty good. She had no strategy, no plan. She just came to New York and won this gold award. But afterwards, because she works in not-for-profit, the doors of politicians' offices were opening. Wow. Where before they weren't. And she's now gone on to create some incredible stuff on the back of this award that Amazing. she Amazing. I just think it's something that we, you know, and even I, when I'm interviewing people, I interviewed someone this morning that's been on the top 100 AFR list and Telstra businesswoman. It definitely makes me sit up a bit straighter and think, well, wow, they've really kicked some goals. So, um, yeah, I I think that's really amazing. So, okay, now let's keep going with the rest of it. We're going to run out of time otherwise. So along your entrepreneurial journey, now I ask this of everyone and, and there doesn't have to be an answer, but I love to ask it because I'm all about lifting the women up around you. So are there any women that stand out in your mind as women that have really helped you with your career? And if so, how did they help you? And if there aren't any, that's also fine because a lot of people don't have, have an answer for that one. No, absolutely there are. And, and there are people who've helped me um, because of the direct positive input that they've had in my journey. And there are women that I've interacted with who have not had such a positive um, impact on my journey that I've gone, you know, well, I'm not doing what they do. Um, yeah, that, that's right. So, so I'm not going to name them because no, that's not the no, type of person not, I am. But it but, is true that, that we do learn what we don't want to be like as well from yeah, our role so models. I'm, I'm going to start with Lauren. She is my partner in business and I refer to her as my partner in shine. We, you know, she has, she's overcome her own 
battles and trials and tribulations. She is just the easiest person to work with. She's so positive. She is just, her brain goes at 700 million miles an hour like we go, let's do this and the next day it's done. It's like, man, I thought I could act quick. She's <laughs> off the charts. Um, but we just have the best time working together and That's we became friends before we went into business and we do have a business partnership agreement. So, you know, we've, well, we've got all of that covered. Yes, we're very, and we're very practical. But we just we just get along so well and I admire her tenacity. I admire her incredible skill at what she does. Uh, another person, um, I, ha- I got a business coach last year who has since Ooh, become a you. friend. And, yeah, a- Anthea Horvath in uh, Queensland. Right. And she, um, she just, I don't know, she just sparked a fire in me and helped me really value my skill where I kept like going, oh, really, it's not such a big deal. And she go, yeah, it actually is a big it deal. Is. So yeah. she, she like last year I had massive growth because of what I, what the work that I'd done with her. Right. Just one moment, Chip. What's up? Oh, oh you're done. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. No worries. Um, I'll message you so that. Yeah, I was there. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for coming okay, back and joining us. Okay, okay I'll see you soon. Um, okay. So another woman that uh, really has helped me a lot that I admire a lot is Catherine Mora. Um, she's my book publisher. Right. But I tell you, her skill and expertise in writing and coaching people to write has, again, made me a better, she really made me a better writer and she really opened up my heart to just being a little more vulnerable. Like, you know me, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I say what I think, but I was really holding myself back a lot because I was worried about what people thought and I didn't want to offend anybody. You know, like I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I I think we all do, Darla. We all do. That's only natural. But um, some of us, I guess, are more scared about a pushback than others. Yeah, and I was after the experiences that I've had when yeah. I was younger. I was I've been really reluctant to say what I think, and Catherine helped me through the process of writing my story to really just embrace that and and put it out there. And like, and I know this is going to sound really sucky, but um, Jules Brook, I've oh, that you know, does sound sucky. <laughs> it does sound sucky. Sorry, but. But in all sincerity, I remember when I started my business and I Googled, you know, do your own PR and you popped up with handle your own PR and I I remember looking at a picture and it was a Sydney Morning Herald article and I read it and I started following you and and I started following a few other people who were doing the same as me and there are a few that I kind of went, oh, my God, they're so intimidating and um, I feel like a complete loser. And then I looked at you and I went, she's so approachable and, you know, I just, I loved your vibe and I was like, you know, oh, I really want to reach out and talk to her. But, like, what if she's like those other women I reached out who went, like, go away, I don't want to talk to you. And, you know, I've just watched you go from, you know, thing to thing and just create amazingness. So, like, I, I find that really inspirational oh, when you're you. just kind of like, 
keep reinventing yourself. I love it. Wow. So, sorry, that, yes. That's what us resilient um, um, entrepreneurs have to do, I think. So now talk to me about, and again, there may not be any, um, and we haven't got a lot of time, but can you think of a pivotal moment where something has just fallen in a heap for whatever reason and you've just been frozen like I don't even know what to do here and then it's pushed you off in a whole new direction that you're so glad that you went in? <laughs> That's highly prescriptive of me, but anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I'm just, there's so many. Just I'm one. going to... Yeah, no, just one. We don't have 10 hours. I look, I'm going to go to that seminar in 2013 at a hotel in Brisbane City. It was in the, it was the Hilton. And sitting in that room, so negative, just so beaten and down. I was sick. You know, I'd just been diagnosed with a, a, chronic autoimmune disease, um, you know, my, my youngest had just been diagnosed with autism, my marriage was a mess, like my life was a mess and I'm kind of like sitting there feeling like the world's biggest loser and thinking I really thought that I really thought that my life would be better than this. I really thought that because I was so certain about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do that, you know, the heavens would open and my pathway would be clear. Or or, or the other thing I used to dream of is I'd go out to a bar or I'd be at home and the phone would ring, but somehow or other someone would know about you and go, you know what, you're amazing, let me turn you into a successful person and and it would always happen for me. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm the same because I'd be like, I'm a hard worker. I'm a quick learner. I'm smart. I'm, you know, I'm ticking I'm, all the boxes. I'm, Why isn't it happening? Yeah, <laughs> I'm funny. You know, like I'm, I'm perceptive. I'm curious. I'm, I'm all of these things, and yet here I am sitting in this room listening to these people rabbit on about like stuff, and and I'm. 20, I'm 43 years old and this is what I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And yet you came out of it going, wow, all the possibilities, all the things I'm going to do. And who would have thought you'd make $5,000 within a week? So... I know. Amazing. And we had, we were down, like I, my redundancy payment was gone and we we're coming up to Christmas and I'm thinking, like I can't even get a job at Target. They, like, they, how, how am I going to buy my boys presents? are the moments. I know for me there was a moment where I had to borrow money for Christmas presents for the kids and I went, this is ridiculous. Something's got to change. And there's always something that you can do. Now uh, talk to me about when you do have kids and a husband and a business and you're doing it all from home, is there a line that you draw that says these are the hours I work and these are the hours for my family or does it all merge into each other? It used to all merge into each other because I was so eager to please. <laughs> right. Kind of like I've got to make these clients happy because, you know, I want them to love me. And then uh, maybe four years ago I had a bit of a breakdown, like <laughs> I couldn't stop crying. I just, I got got pulled over by the police by a very handsome sergeant. (laughs) I will say he was very handsome. In my abject misery, I I was still able to go, it'd be really nice if he gave me a hug. Um, Or asked me out. (laughs) 
or ask me out yet. Don't worry about that, husband. <laughs> but, you know, I got pulled over. My car, I was, I'd just been so distracted. My car registration was had lapsed and it was the second time that it had happened. So they towed my car away and I just cro- I cried and I cried. And it wasn't, just, and it wasn't over that. It was just Everything. small business was such a slog. Life was such a slog and it's like, oh, my God, this sucks. And I just remember thinking, I'm done. I'm tapping out. I'm just going to go, I don't know, I'm going to go. Don't even say it. (laughs) No, I wasn't going to take my life. I was going to, like, go drink or, you know, I'm just going to go get get a yeah, and I'm, nobody's going to want anything for me. And I went, you know what? Life has to change. So I set up and I went, I work between nine and five. I don't work weekends. Good. You know, you don't message me at midnight and then be berating me. I'm, and I'm pretty clear with people in our, our scope of work. It's like these are our hours. If you contact me through social media and I don't respond, not my problem, it's your problem yeah. because if, if you need me, it's email or it's text. So I've got really clear and that clarity has come from stuffing up more times <laughs> than is humanly possible and pissing people off and upsetting them and not giving what they wanted or what and they understanding expected. That you I, can never please everyone anyway, really. Absolutely. You've just got to do what, what's right for you. And funnily enough, it'll all sort of work out if you do it that way. It's a bit the same when you're looking That's for right. a boyfriend. I always think uh, you never can find one when you really want one. But when you go, I actually don't need one, I'm going to get on with my life, and you sort of thought yourself out, that's when a guy will come along. But anyway, that's, that's where my husband there turned you go. up. That's when my fabulous boyfriend turned up yeah. as well. Okay, is yeah. there a quirky fact you can tell me about you that most people don't know? It's probably a few. I can um, I can steer a dragon boat at full speed. Really? Yeah, I can. I am able to. It's called a sweep. I'm able to sweep that boat over the finishing line while there's 20 people paddling furiously. Oh my god! Well, I reckon that's a quirky fact. Well done. Yeah, um, you know about my forklift license, so I've given that one away. And I'm mostly deaf in my right ear, so if yeah, you ever sit it. next to me at lunch and I, my whole head turns, then you know that I'm trying to hear what you're saying to right. me. Right. So sit on the left well, side. There you go. There's a there's an ample amount of quirky facts, and that would only be touching sides with you. <laughs> Yeah, that's when you, like, say to me you're being really quiet in a room with a lot of people talking, even on Zoom, it gets really overwhelming for me because, like, I've just got all of this noise yeah. coming in one ear. So I tend to retreat well, I've got back. Two and ears that work, and it feels the same way for me if that makes you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes oh, when oh, you I just needed. get really overwhelmed by it. Okay, last but not least, I always ask people about apps on their phone for no other reason and it doesn't fit with anything other than I'm obsessed with my phone myself and I get interested. So do you use your phone for business? And if you do, outside of banking and email and sort of the obvious ones, have you got any clever apps you can tell us that you use about on your phone or you're not really a phone user? Um, Yeah, I do use my phone but I don't really have any apps on there that's okay that was um it's just maybe slack i like slack it's a really good way to communicate on projects yeah um i've got all of you know dropbox and drive and i actually have to say my favorite app is my kindle app 
because I like shopping for books. Yes, I do too. And then I got so carried away because it's so easy. I think I've got a library of about 200 <laughs> and then I just stopped. Um, okay, so that is useful apps on your phone. What about for fun? Do you play on your phone? Do you have Candy Crush or anything like that? No. I read. I read on my phone, Facebook, Instagram, emails. Yeah, that's um, it. Ringing people and talking to them. What's that? That's a handy app. I've never even heard about that. <laughs> I'm joking. But it would be less and less. I mean, I'd always take a text over a phone call these days or not take it. Yeah, probably take and give. But you know, yeah, it just depends. It depends. It, it on... does depend. I spoke to someone. Yeah. I rang someone today, and he said, "Why are you ringing me?" And I said, "Because we could have ten emails, or I could just ring you for five minutes, and we'll solve it." Yeah, um, particularly if if it's a, uh, a you've had an altercation or a misunderstanding, is I will never do those through. Well, maybe not never, but 99% of the time, if you message me and you go, I'm really upset at you, I'll pick up the phone and go, let's talk about it because there's no mistaking the verbal word over. You can't differentiate tone. and No, and also it's in the the moment. So sometimes you can send an email, particularly if you're feeling particularly heated one way or the other, and look at it the next day and go, ooh, I don't know that I really meant that. And, of course, the other person has read 50 layers into it that weren't there or or whatever. Yeah. So true. Well, Annette, I could honestly talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but we are now at an hour. So can you just let people know if they want to get hold of you, what's the best way? The best way is through email because I'm always on emails. I find Facebook sometimes a bit overwhelming yes. because of the messages. Yes. So Annette at theaudaciousagency.com or ring me, 04787 18041. No, you can't put a phone number in a podcast that could go around the world. You could get freaks ringing you. So I would say so so Annette at the Audacious Agency and then spell Audacious because there's a lot of people would get that wrong. Okay, A-U-D-A-C-I-O-U-S, Annette at the audaciousagency.com. And it's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, brilliant. And if you get really stuck, then just ask me and I'll put you in touch with Annette. (laughs) Yeah, and worst case scenario, find me on Facebook and message me. And if I don't get back to you, message me again. Yes, because good good tip. All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jules. That was awesome. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au. 